Welcome to Cincy Reform Podcast. This is Pastor Brandon, and today I wanted to talk about amillennialism. I want to talk about how we understand the nature of end times and the nature of our part in the grand scheme of redemptive history now. And you know, people throw out these words of you know premillennialism and postmillennialism, and uh, those can get, words can get confusing, and the concepts can get confusing, and there can be internal debates, and some people kind of toss up their hands and say, "Well, I'm just a panmillennialist. I think it'll all pan out in the end." But I want to talk today about amillennialism because I think that it is not well represented and not well understood. And it's also the position that both Pastor Zach and myself hold to. Um, we believe it's the, uh, the most faithful um, position to have in terms of what the Bible teaches. Um, we believe that it has a rich pedigree um, in, in terms of Reformed uh, theology and Reformed thinkers and theologians of the past. But before I go any further, I want to read from the Bible where all of this is coming from. You know, what is this millennial debate? I mean, what is it even about? Where is it even from? Uh, and it's from Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 20, John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a short time. He goes on to say, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their witness of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and who also had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no authority, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So, Based upon that text, and, and others as well, but that is the, the chief text, based on that, people debate about this millennial timing. Um, so the premillennialists, for example, uh, you'll notice the, the prefix pre means before. They believe Jesus will come back before this thousand-year reign. And they believe that uh, Jesus will come and will set up an earthly kingdom that will not be new heavens, new earth. It will not be glory or consummation or anything like that. It'll be a millennial time. 
and he'll set up this earthly kingdom and it'll be a thousand years during this earthly kingdom there's going to be believers and unbelievers there's going to be some who are glorified in terms of their body some who are not uh, the unbelievers will uh, um, will pass away and die within that millennial reign and it'll be kind of an in-between time in between now and new heavens new earth the post-millennialists believe that Jesus comes after the millennial reign. And there's some debate within post-millennial um, thought. In fact, Pastor Zach and I did a recent podcast on post-millennialism. Uh, I would, I'm going to link that in the show notes page, and I would recommend taking a listen to that as well, as that will be helpful. Uh, but yeah, the post-millennialists have this idea that there will be a thousand-year reign, and that uh, for some post-millennialists, that's still in the future, that once we have a Christianized world. There will be a golden era where basically the whole world converts to Christ. And uh, not everybody, but the vast majority of the whole world will convert to Christ. And we will usher in a, a kind of a thousand year golden era. Uh, and Christ will come back to a largely Christianized world and population. And so that is the the post-millennial view. The amillennial view is difficult for some to understand, I think because of the name. The name amillennial is difficult. And it's difficult for a couple reasons. Well, one, it's rather new. It's a, it's, it's a newer term. Um, in fact, many people, many Reformed theologians in the past understood amillennialism as almost a species of post-millennialism. They just didn't have a category for the amillennial viewpoint, and they, you know, they, they rightly saw the, the pre-mill view and the post-mill view, and they just kind of worked out a kind of a, what, what, what we now call amillennialism. They worked that out as a subspecies within a post-millennial camp. And so when you look at some of the older writings on end times, uh, you, you just don't see any categorization for the amillennial viewpoint. So, for, I mean, for example, Gerhardus Voss and B.B. Warfield and uh, even the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, you know, all of these written in the early 1900s don't have any category for the amillennial viewpoint, even though they describe amillennialism. Some people think that actually the word amillennialism uh, was started by Abraham Kuyper, but the, but the origin of the word is, is not known. We just know that it's, it's uh, fairly recent in terms of how it's being used. So uh, that, that's, that's part of the puzzle in terms of why amillennialism is, is not well known. Um, it's because a lot of people called it post-millennialism uh, probably a, a hundred years ago or so. So um, that causes confusion. Secondly, you have that prefix ah, which means no. It's the, right, the negation. And so no millennial. And so some people hear that and, and they think oh you guys don't think there is a millennium and that would be inaccurate amillennialism is not saying there's no millennium amillennialism is saying there's no future millennial reign 
the millennial reign is right now. We are, the, the the millennial reign is happening um, as as we're listening to this podcast. And so I thought what I would do is start off by just reading a few statements about amillennialism that might kind of help us to figure out, okay, well, what is it? Um, how would we define it? How do we understand it? The first one I want to read from is from Michael Horton. And Michael Horton, in his uh, Systematic Theology, talking about amillennialism, and he said, In the main, the ancient church seemed to have held that the kingdom had been inaugurated with Christ's first advent, yet awaited its full consummation in the future the position associated today with amillennialism. So he's defining the, the amill uh, viewpoint as the kingdom of Christ inaugurated when he um, was incarnate, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. That kind of kicks off this, this kingdom, and, but it's waiting its full consummation until the very end. Um, so that's, that's kind of a broad definition, I would say. Vern Poitras, another another writer, he said, Amillennialists understand the millennium, the thousand-year reign, to be a picture of the present reign of Christ and of the saints in heaven. The first resurrection, on this view, is either the life of disembodied Christians with Christ in heaven or life in Christ that starts with the new birth. Satan has been bound through the triumph of Christ in his crucifixion and resurrection. So that's Poitras talking about the, uh, the um, Amil viewpoint in terms of what is the millennium. And finally, here's a statement from G.K. Beale. Amillennialists believe that the millennium started at Christ's resurrection and will be concluded at its final coming. He goes on to say, The primary point of the millennium is to demonstrate the victory of suffering Christians. Those whom the beast put to death are those who will truly live. And those who contested his right to rule and suffered for it are those who will in the end rule as universally as he and for much longer. So those are a few statements about kind of describing the amillennial viewpoint. So we can, I think, kind of summarize quite basically that the amillennial viewpoint is that Christ's kingdom came when... Christ was born of the virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, ascended. Christ's first advent is is that point in which the kingdom came, and Christ was victorious. Christ is reigning victorious right now, and so there's there's optimism here in terms of the 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 victorious reign of Christ and of the saints. And even as the church is perhaps suffering, the church um, still feeling that effect, you could say, of the victories of Christ. 
And so there is a, a, a optimistic, I think, posture here in terms of what Christ is doing and how he's already victorious and how he's already reigning and how his kingdom is already here and it will be inaugurated climactically. It will be here in fullness uh, when Christ returns a second time. N- not only is Christ reigning victorious, but uh, the saints in heaven are reigning with him. The thousand-year reign, the millennial reign, and for all millennialists, thousand years is symbolic for a long duration. Uh, like many of the numbers in the book of Revelation, 1,000 years is symbolic, and it's symbolic for, again, for a long period of time. And so from the first advent to the second advent, the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, that is the millennial reign. And it is happening in heaven as we speak, as uh, Christ reigns and rules, and as those who uh, lived and died uh, for Christ in this age are with him, uh, then uh, yeah, they are experiencing that, that millennial reign. Uh, Meredith Klein talks about how the, uh, the death of the saint is the first resurrection that John is speaking about in Revelation 20. When he talks about this is the first resurrection, that is bodily death, he says. And I think that helps us to kind of even think and recalibrate our view of death. You know, as, as our loved ones die, that was a resurrection into this millennial reign, this victorious reign of Christ, and it will be consummated climactically when he comes back and inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth where he makes all things new and does away with Satan once and for all. But like I said, there is many in the Reformed tradition who have held this view, even if this word, amillennialism, was not yet invented. uh, There's um, quite a historic pedigree, I think, with this this word. Um, For example, some people who have have held to the amillennial viewpoint have been people like Gerhardus Voss, Hermann Ritterboss, Anthony Hokima, Meredith G. Klein, uh, Richard B. Gaffin, Cornelius Van Til, B.B. Um, Warfield, John Murray. So as we think about amillennialism, and we're kind of wondering, well, what does it mean for me, and how does it even impact my life? Well, I think it impacts us in three ways. I think, it, one, it impacts our, our piety, how we think about church and culture and life and, and these things. But amillennialism will impact that. Amillennialism will impact the way you read passages in the Bible and understand various things in the Bible. And thirdly, amillennialism will um, obviously shape the way you read the book of Revelation because it was in turn shaped by uh, the teaching of Scripture and especially the teaching of Revelation. So kind of going through those three things, it shapes our piety, our life, the way we think about um, culture and and the and the church's mission and and so on, because again, if you're in the post millennial camp and you think that there's going to be a Christianization of everything and a golden era where perhaps most of the globe is going to turn to Christ, that shapes things. You know, you're. You, you forge out and you want to build the new, uh, the, the new cathedral of new Christendom, 
and you want to uh, make everything um, uh, Christian to usher in a a new kind of golden era uh, to usher in the return of Christ, and that's going to very much calibrate what you what you do as a Christian. It's going to recalibrate things uh, in terms of what you do. Um, in your church. If you're a dispensational premillennialist, you might uh, think that you're going to be raptured. And, uh, and then you'll come back and uh, sit with Christ for a thousand years on, on earth and, and reign with him there. Um, and that'll again, I think, recalibrate as you think about, you know, this world is, is, is kind of just going to the pits. And so we're going to kind of build our own bunker and be rapture ready. Um, so you might have it, that it, it might. So it could impact you in, in, in that regard. But the amillennialist, because, again, Christ is victorious. Christ is reigning. His kingdom is here. Uh, and his kingdom will come climatically in the end. And the church triumphant is in heaven. The church militant is on earth. And so it calibrates us uh, in terms of our piety because we realize that we are not church triumphant. That we are not um, out, of, out of the wilderness, as it were. But we are pilgrim people. And we have a pilgrim mindset that we are looking for a better home, a better place. We're looking for the new city, a heavenly city. And we're walking the narrow path as pilgrims, as the apostles tell us, through many tribulations you must go to before you can see the kingdom of God. And so we realize that, that part of the Christian life is a suffering life. It's a life in which we are in the wilderness, we are embattled pilgrims, uh, we are marginalized and hated by the world. Christ warned us of all of these things. We are persecuted um, by the world, by the Antichrist, by Satan. Again, all of these things we, we were told about. And so, compared to a post-millennialist, we would say that we're not going to usher in a kind of triumphant golden era. That's going to come in the new heavens and new earth. Right now, we are a wilderness people, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. We are a pilgrim people. We are church militant. And um, yes, there's much joy in the Christian life. There's periods of respite that God gives us. There can be periods of, um, <clears throat> of where we are having some um, kind of temporary cultural triumph even, where... Uh, we're seeing increased outpouring of the Spirit, an increased um, gospel opportunity, an increase in the church, and and uh, a, a, a Christianizing in various places. And we can be excited about that, that God would, would allow that to happen. But we know in the end, there will be a heightening of Antichrist, a heightening of Great Tribulation, and the church will be increasingly persecuted, martyred, and marginalized. And uh, we understand that that's part of, part of the calling of the Christian life, is to walk a cruciformed life, as Christ tells us, pick up your cross daily and follow him. So I think the amillennialist position calibrates you uh, to 
to to embrace that when it comes. Not to go lo- looking for suffering like a masochist, but to understand that your your life is a pilgrim on on uh, passing through to our heavenly home. Yet we're also not like those who might say, "Well, the heck with the world. It's just going to hell in a handbasket." I'm going to kind of get in my bunker and be rapture ready. We would understand that, no, we need to be engaged and we can be hopeful uh, in terms of uh, our cultural pursuits and we can be engaged with society and we can make things better and try to make things better. We can uh, preach the gospel. We can try to bring Christ into our workplaces, into our homes, into our relationships with our friends. We can uh, be, as as, uh, the Apostle Paul said, we can be the aroma of Christ. And so, yeah, we don't want to flee, but we want to engage while we're here, realizing that we have a a, um, cultural and redemptive task that we need to take up. And we can be hopeful that God will be pleased to bring about some sort of of blessing, uh, some sort of benefit, some sort of um, reformation in the lives of of people on earth. And so we can be excited about that as we go into our, our workplaces and business and nursing and whatever it is to to be Christians and to bring bring those Christian ideals with us and to show people a better way a Christian way, a way in which uh, the Bible speaks about, and uh, bless people in that way. So, being an amillennialist postures us to accept that, to uh, expect that, and not to expect some sort of triumphant thing um, here on earth prior to the return of Christ. So I think that's one of the ways in which amillennialism impacts our lives. I think it, the, being an amillennialist also impacts the way that we read the Bible as we understand the covenant nature of the entire Bible. There's many passages, um, Matthew 24, for example, and Daniel chapter 7 through 9, uh, you know, those, those places will be impacted by your millennial view. How you understand the millennium will be how you understand those verses. Thirdly, I think it impacts the way we read and understand the book of Revelation. We believe that the book of Revelation is a book that communicates to us in a symbolic way. I think the Apostle John, as he's writing, clues us in on that, because in the very first verse in Revelation, chapter 1, he quotes from Daniel, chapter 2, where Daniel's talking talking about the dream of metal man, where there's you know, the, you know, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the clay and this metal man that represents uh, various kingdoms that will come later. And it's interesting. That is a very symbolic way of communicating. Uh, you're given a vision of a metal man, but that metal man symbol points to a greater reality of the coming kingdoms that will come later. And it's so interesting that John quotes from Daniel 2 in the opening verse of Revelation. I think cluing is in that, hey, we're going to be communicating by way of symbols. Not that these symbols have no meaning, but the symbols point to something greater. 
So that means that we shouldn't take the book of Revelation as some sort of actual high definition picture book. It's not it's not as though we're looking for a you know a, a, a um, ten horn beast or locusts that are that are demonic or um, uh, all of the ways in which the book of Revelation expresses itself. Again, John is communicating to us, showing us how things actually are by way of symbols, not by way of high-definition pictures. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Secondly, the end times began when Jesus died, rose, and ascended. That's why the, the biblical authors are always talking about, you know, the, the we are in the last hour. Uh, we are in the last days. Uh, they understood that the end times began when Jesus died, rose, and ascended. And we have been in the end times now for over 2,000 years. We, we, ha- we are an end times people. And uh, so that cal- recalibrates things. You know? So when we're looking at the book of Revelation, we're not thinking, well, the, the end times is sometime in the future. But we understand that we've, we've been in it. That, that recalibrates, I think, how we look at, for example, the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation started when Jesus died, rose, and ascended. That's why, for example, John can say in chapter 2, verse 22, that he's going to bring Great Tribulation to a church in the first century. Because it started in the first century. And so we've been in the Great Tribulation here on earth for thousands of years. And again, I think that there, there will be a heightening of that, a more intensifying of that, right before uh, Christ returns bodily. But um, but it it's still the Great Tribulation. We've been in it. We're, we've been experiencing it. It's all around us. Uh, but again, it, it will it will get heightened uh, as we approach the end. The seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the various plagues that you read about in the great in in the book of Revelation have been happening for thousands of years. You know, as we get out of bed in the morning, seals one to five are at play. Trumpets one to six are at play. Bowls one to five are at play. And so, it's not as though the seals, trumpets, and bowls are going to be in the future. They're here right now. According to the book of Revelation, the seals 1 to 5 affect both believer and unbeliever, whereas trumpets 1 to 6 and bowls 1 to 5 are uh, directed toward the unbeliever in this age to bring them to repentance and also to bring judgment upon them in their, in their persecution of, of the godly. So as a millennialist, that kind of recalibrates things for us. We are living in the Great Tribulation, and the seals, the bowls, and the, the, and the trumpets are happening, and we are an end times people. And, and so as we're looking at the book of Revelation, we understand that the book of Revelation is about past, present, and future. It, it's not only future. Some people want to say that. It's not only past. Some people want to say that too. But no, it's past, present, future. It's in a cycle. Uh, There are patterns that were kicked off, and they will continue in this cyclical way until, until Christ comes back. Again, I think it'll be heightened in the end. So as, as an all-millennialist, I think that it has direct, practical import 
for our lives, for our Bible reading, for how we understand the world around us, for how we understand uh, what it'll be like when Christ does return. It's not an unimportant topic. It is important to wrestle through, I think, some of these some of these views because it will it will manifest in your life. It will manifest in the life of your church. It will manifest in your Bible reading. Uh, it'll manifest with the context in which you think that you live. If you think that the, the Great Tribulation is only future, well, you're going to live a certain way. If you think the Great Tribulation is happening all around you right now, you're going to live a certain way. And so I think it's a very practical topic to think about, and one in which I hope you find helpful. So this is part one of kind of musings about the amillennial viewpoint. Pastor Zach is going to do one next week, where he will build on what I'm saying and fill in some of the gaps. So be sure to check out our show notes page, as I'll put some helpful things in, in there. And also stay tuned for next week for part two of Musings on Amillennialism. Thank you.